Please be seated. Okay. I'd like to oh <laughs> yes. Thank you, Janice. <laughs> like to read to you this morning from Philippians chapter 3. Um, but before I do that, I'd like to introduce the sermon so that the Bible reading fits in with where we're going so it makes a bit more sense. Um, we do love watching uh, sitcoms on the television from any era, really. I mean, we're, I'm prob- probably a bit more than Janice working my way through the good life again, if that means anything to anybody. And I mean, we nearly know the words. Uh, we've seen them so many times, but there's something, there's something just reassuring about being back somewhere, uh, like that. And others like Friends and, uh, Frasier, you know, lots of them. But a number of sitcoms that we watch, uh, are all about everything going wrong, right? So from the very beginning, you know what's going to happen is that slowly but surely the whole scene is going to unravel until there's absolute chaos. Now, can you think of any sitcoms? where that that is the story every time you watch it. Oh, down the back. Yes, what are you thinking of? Some others do have them. That's on the list. Okay. And could I just tell you, if you get at the right party, uh, my Janice does an incredible Michael Crawford <laughs> impersonation. <laughs> I love telling you, you're sunk now, but they'll all want to see it somewhere. Come to lunch, bunch. <laughs> Lunch punch Christmas dinner, that would be a good one, yeah. She could do a great Michael Crawford or Frank Spencer, as it was. Uh, I, I was in a, I went to see a show in London many years ago and Frank Spencer, no, Michael Crawford uh, was singing. So, I mean, a, a serious piece of theatre, uh, but at the interval, uh, he came on, it was a complete darkness and a spotlight opened on the curtain. And the curtain opened and out, out walked Frank Spencer in the overcoat and the berry. And he didn't say anything, he just stood in the spotlight and the place went wild. And then he disappeared again and act two uh, started at this other uh, piece of theatre. And other one that jumps into my mind, there's nobody causes more chaos than Basil Fawlty. Yeah? It just, you can tell from the word go, it all goes wrong. He's hiding in the wardrobe when he should just have stayed in the room. Yeah? He's hiding from the hotel inspectors when he should just have welcomed them. Yeah? Um, he's mentioning other Europeans at all sorts of points when, yeah, no matter how much he tries not to. And on it goes. That sort of chaos. But the point of, of starting with that is, in a very serious way, Looking around this room, I don't know you all intimately, but none of our lives is different from anybody else's. There are times when it just feels like we are Basil Faulty, doesn't it? It's all too much. Too much going on. Too much happening in our work. Too much happening in our families. Maybe with health. Maybe with finance. Maybe with changing a job or moving a house or bad news or something's going on somewhere. Oh, sorry, I forgot the other one that I wanted to mention. Miranda. Right? Does it just unfold? Yeah, it unravels all the way through. But we can laugh at all of those. But there is there is absolute chaos in our lives at times, and in our world, possibly caused a lot by our world, but sometimes caused by what's in here, or maybe by what's not in here, as well. Uh, And it can just feel like that. 
Now, into the midst of all of that, we arrive at Philippians chapter 4, with one of the most difficult passages of Scripture, I think, for us to take on board in the sort of world we're in and with the sort of lives we lead. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4. Oh, there it is, right. Uh, I'll, I'll read it from the screen so it's exactly the same words. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will keep your hearts, we say that every Sunday, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. In fact, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. To show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Even just reading that out to you, the bar is so high that I could just sit down now. There is no point in going on. The bar is too high. I know what it is. I know what it is to be content in any and every situation. I can barely drive down the Orma Road and be content because of the way people park and drive and don't indicate. I mean, that's uh, now that's too much response, Janice. Just could you just keep it calm here? <laughs> right. um, and and that those are relatively trivial situations, you know, compared to. Um, I wonder, is Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer content this morning? Uh, if any of you are into football, sorry, I try not to use football illustrations, but like his life must be falling apart at the minute. We sacked. Oh, so he's either he's either he's either very content or or terribly discontent, I suppose. Anyway, the, the, how can this be? Yet, if the gospel, if the gospel is to be the good news of God coming among us, God infiltrating our lives, infiltrating our world and our situation, and residing by his Spirit in my very heart and soul. The Prince of Peace dwelling in this very human being here, and including all of yours. Then some of this has to be an aspiration that we have to be moving towards. It can't be a bar that is too high. It may be high, 
but it must be something that we're expected to uh, at least pursue. Let me uh, just uh, let that sit for a wee minute or two, and let me take you way back to a different story in the Bible. And this is from Exodus chapter 16. So you have to think of yourself as an Israelite uh, who has been enslaved in Egypt, living under terribly difficult circumstances, uh, and it has been for you know a couple of hundred, well, I don't know how long they were enslaved, but they were certainly been in Egypt for 400 years. And slavery has been the living memory of every single one of these people who is now traveling across a wilderness, um, heading for what God has promised to be the promised land. They've come out of something that was just terribly difficult. Imagine news this week of people standing up against barbed wire fences desperate to get out of somewhere. That's these Israelites trekking across this wilderness. And in this wilderness, they begin to think even back there was better because this place has no water and no food. And we read in this, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, I'm echoing a bit, is it me, do you think? Let me move this down my jumper a little bit. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Now, you've got to, you've got to get into this story. They're coming out of slavery. They're moving to the promised land. Everything that they had here was limited. Everything was given to them. Nothing was theirs. When they get to the promised land, they can have anything and everything. So somewhere God has got this journey between slavery and anything and everything to get them licked into shape. And one of the lessons that he's teaching them is that God will give you everything you need. But if you go for more than you need, you're going to ruin it all. Do you see that in the wilderness? I'll provide every food, every day, fresh bread, fresh quail, fresh water out of the rock, everything you're going to need. Because I need you to learn that when you get to the promised land, you've got to think about sharing it. You've got to think about everybody having what they need. You've got to think about caring for each other. But you've got to not, never, ever think about how much of this can I get for myself? Wow, what a lesson 
Wasn't it? Well, they learnt it. They didn't learn it at all. Do you know that their very own kings started to enslave them? Anyway, then we jump into the um, New Testament. And just in case you thought, that's a very hard lesson to learn. Jesus arrives, and in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, um, he says this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Then he goes on to talk about uh, the, the flowers of the field and everything. It's like the same theme is running through this of how can we be contented? How can we break out of this world that seems to demand that we're constantly looking for more of something or better of something or a different way that inevitably just ends up with with the manna being filled with maggots and causing destruction in us rather than causing the things that we want. And then we end up, in the midst of all of this, we see this person who is in some sort of house arrest in Rome waiting for a trial that is more than more than likely to end up with his execution. And yet he's able to say, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Wow. See if we could find that secret and bottle it. We could heal the world. We could cure the world. If everybody could be content in any and every situation. Now, what was the secret? The secret is, well going to suggest a couple of things. Uh, the secret is that Paul has imbibed the whole thing. Do you remember back in chapter 3? Um, I can't remember who was speaking on it that Sunday morning, but Paul was trying to justify how if anybody could rely on the things, the physical things or the physical achievements in their lives, uh, that he went on to say, you know, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews in regard to the law. I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, completely faultless. Paul has spent his whole life allowing these scriptures and the truth of these scriptures to soak into his life. I imagine if there's anybody knows about the manna in the Old Testament, it was Paul. And he has tried to live like this. So part of the, um, part of the reason that why he has learned to be contented is because he has, I imagine, has believed through all of his life that this is what he's after. And he has resisted all other attempts to try to create more than that. So when he says these words in um, Philippians chapter 4, finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, in fact, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And he doesn't mean just stop and think about such things. He means allow these things to soak into our lives. 
allow these things to become the foundations upon which we build everything else. The things that are pure and lovely and admirable and noble and right. Which I guess also means putting aside the things that aren't those things. That so often fill our lives, fill our minds and our hearts and our hopes and our dreams. Is it possible to live on this earth allowing these things to fill our lives? Well, Paul certainly is proof of one who seems to, in the face of death, be able to say that he has contented himself with whatever these were. And let me, let me just, I look this up. Just in case you thought, well, possibly it's okay for him. Maybe he had everything. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So can you imagine the meeting he was at when he said, I'm about to head off on my next trip. Who's with me? Yeah, oh, we'll, we'll support you. <laughs> you know, we'll pray for you and send you food. Um, what a life. So whatever it is, and I'm going to suggest something uh, that I think you can read into this, is that we're not sure if Paul was always contented while he was shipwrecked shipwrecked and beaten and everything else but he has reached a point in his life and maybe it is because he knows he's approaching the end where he's allowing the contentment of Christ to settle into to become his experience and I want to also suggest that we shouldn't wait to the end to let that happen that maybe we should be thinking how that can become our present reality. And the other thing that I think Paul has embraced, and because of his situation, that he has embraced um, he has embraced an eternal perspective on his life. Years and years and years ago, when Janice and I were just dating, um, <laughs> Janice was always so much more spiritual than me. Um, but, and so every time you got a, a, a present, a card. It always had a Bible verse, didn't it? Everything had a Bible verse attached to it somewhere. And I remember she gave me the best Bible verse everywhere. Sam, can't remember, but it said the Lord will give you your heart's desire. Yes? Uh, and I'm guessing she thought that was her. <laughs> <laughs> Which of course it was. Uh, but I, I went out and bought a great big poster of a red Porsche 911 and stuck it on my wall. <laughs> and I'm clinging to that. And I have prayed it many times, Lord, the red Porsche 911, you told me my heart's desire. And his answer all the time is, yes, but it's in the new heaven and the new earth. All of your heart's desires. 
And I don't think that means we're just going to be incredibly consumerist and materialistic in the next world. But everything that is unfulfilled here, everything that we set aside, everything that we drop and let go of, there's a perfect new heaven and new earth waiting for us. When you think of when we pursue and chase and hunger after stuff, when it's all out there waiting for us, and I don't mean that you're going to get all those physical things like that, but you know what I mean? There is the, the longing that aches in us at times for stuff um, doesn't have to be there. And Jesus did say it just before he said those other uh, incredibly difficult words about not worrying. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we start to invest in the things of the new heaven and the new earth, then our hearts will find themselves there. And there's contentment in that. Because there's hope in that. And certainty in that. Uh, and Jesus did go on and tell a story about three people and he split the business up between them and then went off. The master went off and came back. Uh, and one hadn't bothered investing into the things of the kingdom and the other two had. And the one who hadn't invested into the kingdom lost it. And the other two were given more for the future kingdom. There's something about what we're investing in in terms of God and the kingdom of God will be ours to enjoy as part of that future. Now, I don't know about you, but I find myself really quite uh, overwhelmed by scriptures like this and what it means to live in this world. So I'd like us just to move on now uh, to our prayers.